contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I just want to suggest this next song we, we, we wrote and we play on the ukulele, this little uh, music machine here. They're tiny, they're affordable, and uh, they're kind of a gateway instrument to, to play in music for the rest of your life, and they can be a really good friend, especially when you're down and depressed, because they're very happy, you see. But you can, you can buy a, a cheap ukulele. This one is not. This, this one is so... Uh, this is made in Hawaii with, out of very rare wood, so rare you can't even take it out of the country. Um, and... Uh, and it's got some age to it, but, but you can buy one for 20 bucks and it's gonna sound pretty much similar. Um, so, uh, and they fit in a stocking, you know, for Christmas and, um, and I'm talking, oh, I'm waiting to get a sound out of this thing. Is this gonna, is this, can you hear it yet? It's small. The thing I really hate is when you, you start the show with like some technical difficulties like the Apollo or something. Is this gonna work, this nice expensive? God damn it. Oh, can you hear this one? And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the jump. now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we've come to the end of 2022 here unfortunately but fortunately we've had a lot of memories that we've made we talked about a lot of amazing shows and almost 50 of them or even more than 50 shows that we talked about on the podcast this year and today this episode will be the last show that we talk about in 2022 and it's a good one because obviously if you've been listening in you know that all three legs had some representation here in december we started off with fresno the cruising show and then we did last week we did frankfurt which you guys voted on for europe and then the winner of the september leg happened to be st louis which of all the shows that i went to being six that's half the shows that that they did in september i thought that this was 
probably among the best and if not the best because i have a really tough time not giving the credit to camden both of them are very neck and neck but this this one just wins by a hair and you'll find out why we got some personal stories to tell about this because this is the first episode ever that john and i are talking about a show that we both went to your witness in history randy sobel over here john Farrar over there hello hello yeah not the first show that we've covered that we've both been to, but the first one that you and I have talked about together. Yes, because the Memphis show was like the sixth episode we ever yep. did. So yep. that don't count. Yeah, this this one, and especially these three and Memphis are the only ones that we've actually been to the same. But what I mean by this three is the three show stretch of Nashville, Louisville, St. Louis. And I think that's more interesting just because we actually were like hanging out and together and like actually doing stuff before and during a show. You know what I mean? Yep. Definitely. Yeah. As far as like my shows go, like this was my 12th and last show to date. And I've like, I've been lucky in the 12 that I've been to, to have been to some pretty good ones. We've talked about Greenville, Wrigley 2016, but this one, I think definitely the best I went to of the three this year. And maybe in my top three or four of shows I've been to. It was very, very good. I was impressed. Yeah, I haven't come up with a complete ranking, but I kind of, after three of the shows that I went to of the six, I kind of said, you know what? That could be top 10. That could be top 10. That could be top 10. And St. Louis is definitely one of them. So we're going to talk about the set. There's so much to talk about within the set, but there's also all these personal stories that we got to talk about too. And John, I'm going to let you go first because that kind of in, in your story kind of tells the tale of the storyline coming into this night. Yeah. So I remember like deciding to go to the show was exciting because like this in Nashville, the closest they were coming to where I live here. And when they announced that there was going to be a third show that weekend in Louisville, I remember just being really bummed out. I was like, well, then that means the St. Louis isn't going to happen. Like coming out off of the summer, knowing that they didn't make it through the West coast leg intact. They didn't make it through Europe intact. I'm like, well, there's no way that they're going to be able to pull off three shows in a row here. So I was telling everyone who would listen that this show is probably not going to happen. I even told my wife, I was like, look, I'm probably going to be back early from this trip because I don't think this show is happening. Such a pessimistic way to look at it. but At the time, I was thinking just realist. Like, I was trying to just not get my hopes up too much and being like, look, you know, I've seen this story already. I I know how this ends. Yeah, I'll admit I was not optimistic that the show was even going to take place. Yeah, I don't think that even bothered me. Because, honestly, I went through that in Sacramento and Vegas. And I went through the cancellations. I know it's, it's a bummer. It bums you out. And, yeah, having to spend all that money and fly all that way sucks. But you make the best out of situations when you can. And I feel like St. Louis still would have been a great bonding moment had it not have happened. But, yeah, obviously, just trying to think positivity here. And I know the three-show stretch is insane, but really it's kind of six shows in the matter of 11 days, 10 days or so, which is still a lot actually no it's seven because i'm not even counting the apollo it's seven that's still a lot that's a lot for them and yeah amsterdam looms over your head of course but 
especially when it comes to September and when they started out in Canada and after the four shows, you're like, everything's good. What else do you have to go off of? Things can change on a dime, but it was definitely concerning. I don't disagree that it wasn't concerning, but I chose to ignore it. Yeah, there was just kind of like, it was kind of the cloud that was kind of looming over it. Like up until the very last day, I think up until we got through Louisville, then I kind of relaxed and was like, oh, okay, they can handle this. I think we can pretty much say that everything's going to be good. But I was keeping an eye on my phone and on social media even that afternoon, like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it did not. And we got a fantastic show out of it. Yep. Yep. I just want to say before I get into kind of what my day was like, because it was insane. But this was the only show I had a ticket to in 2020. I got locked out for everything. I put in for MSG, I put in for Baltimore, and then I was trying through Ticketmaster to get Nashville, but apparently wasn't going to go to that. It was not a good time to be doing multiple shows or really to be doing traveling shows for me. And the pandemic, while I'll never say it was a good thing, it definitely helped bring out more shows two years later. So that ended up being a positive out of that. But the whole entire trip and just being around people and kind of, you know, just having bonding moments. After the Louisville show, we drove to Evansville, Indiana and stayed there in a hotel and then drove Evansville to St. Louis. It was kind of like splitting two and a half hours, two hours each way. And that made it kind of easier, gave us time and got there early. And it was me and Bradley was driving. Patrick was in the front seat and we were with Chris. And it was just a good car. It was a good car, good good amount of people. We we listened to the deprogrammed championship edition because we thought it would be kind of a fun throwback. So that was, that was fun. And then the idea of the day was to go to this fundraiser that Anthony from Touring Fan Live had put on, and he did a remarkable job at it. And I wouldn't say I had any input in, in helping, but I saw everything he did and what he went through to to get everything to, to happen. And he does a remarkable job. He's done it before. He did it in New Jersey in Asbury Park last year. So, yeah, he's he's doing a great job. I can't wait for the next one to happen. And it just felt like a good day. It was sunny out. The weather was good. People were just happy to be there. The vibe was relaxing, chilled out. Everybody was meeting each other, becoming friends. There was a band that got to play, a cover band that got to play, and they did the whole unplug set, which was excellent. And, you know, I think for me, what I wanted to do is I hooked up with uh, Tanya Kang, who does the Pearl Jam fan portraits, and I wanted to see her do the portraits in action. And I got some footage of that. I'm sitting on it right now, but it hopefully I'll be able to do something with it over the holiday break. I, yeah, she I, did. Uh, she did mine. I think I'm going to be in the book. Excellent. Yeah, you'll be yeah. the only one who didn't actually write anything on paper. Yep. Because you wrote something with a needle instead. That sounds right. horrible, but <laughs> if you get my point, you get my point. Yeah. I think the ultimate highlight from that day, though, and you know, there's a lot of highlights to be honest with you. I think the ultimate highlight for me was seeing the D Program Six together. Because it felt 
like pulling teeth, putting it together. And I mean, in a good way, because, you know, we didn't even know it was going to happen. Joey wasn't originally going to the St. Louis show or had tickets and then decided last minute that he was going to go. And it felt like we had a very, very short window to just all say hi together and get a picture with all six of us. And yeah, it was just a fun moment. And I'm just happy to see everybody. It just kind of felt like one of those things where all your friends are together in one place. I just remember, yeah, just meeting so many people. I mean, people coming up to me, just introducing themselves, talking about the show, saying how excited they were to be there. Like every time I turned around, it felt like I was meeting someone else, like it's from the podcast or people I knew from shows and stuff. It just seemed like there were just a ton of people there having a great time. And yeah, it was, it was a great event and just being able to kind of hang out before the show and, and talk to people and see the band. And like, yeah, it was just, I just remember that that's the thing I'm going to, it's going to stick with me is just meeting so many people. Yeah. It was just all people. It felt like especially St. Louis was the one where everybody that I've talked to for the last like three or four years all ended up in the same place. And it was just kind of like a family reunion of sorts. And you just got to have a good time, talk about predictions of the show. I don't think I spent money on a drink that night. Just people just being so kind to just be like, oh, you deserve it, man. You deserve it. And just like, I'm so thankful that I'm even considered for something like that it's very cool people and it means a lot because of the work that we put into it it's rewarding that you get something like that going i thought that that was just really cool and kind of intertwined you know what we do into the community so just just everyone was really nice i'm definitely not an extrovert like i i'm not a person that like goes and seeks out crowds and is very outgoing but everyone i talked to was really nice and really complimentary so yeah it meant a lot everyone i talked to that day was very nice and had really nice things to say so yeah thanks everybody more of an extroverted introvert meaning (laughs) i'm an introvert but in my realm like with my people people that it's not like I went to a bar and there was all people watching football and stuff. It was all Pearl Jam fans in one spot. You know, in that kind of setting, I feel like I can be extroverted, which is is unique for me because that really doesn't happen a whole hell of a lot. It's like together with family and then not much else. So Pearl Jam shows definitely make me feel that way and that's why, you know, you kind of keep going back. So other things happened that day. During Plural One, I went to the bathroom. I wasn't feeling well. Something happened. I, I, I ate a hamburger, a cheeseburger for, for dinner. And I don't know if that wasn't sitting with me the right way or something. But I went to the bathroom and I just kind of needed, it's tough to say fresh air in the bathroom, but I just kind of needed some space. And while I was in the bathroom, I got a call from a number that I didn't know. And usually when you get a call from a number you didn't know, especially on a Sunday night, it was like Sunday at six o'clock or maybe even closer to eight. It was probably closer to eight. And you get a call from somebody you don't know. You're like, "Eh, I'm not answering that. But what happened was after I didn't pick up the call, I kept getting texts saying, pick up your phone, pick up your phone right now. And the texts were from a obviously a known number. They were from my friend Sabelle who I'm sure if you guys were listening to the reaction episodes from the tour, you probably got to hear her and Suzette a little bit. They were on a lot. So, and what she said was, 
this guy, Mark, he's trying to get in touch with you because he might have a backstage pass for you. I'm like, holy shit. Is this is this for real? Like, what what's going on here? I felt like I was getting played a little bit. And I know that Sibel will never do that to me. I trust her a lot. She's good people. But I think just seeing that as a possibility kind of made me a little suspicious. And I ended up talking to the guy. And he's like, yeah, I got this pass. I'm not doing anything with it. Like, okay, great. If you want to give it to me, I'll, I'll take it. And he was apparently, in his words, looking for somebody worthy of it. And somebody thought of me. So that's that was really, really, really nice. And he had an extra seat down by where he was sitting, which was close to my original section. And it, it almost felt like I hate doing this. It feels so awkward. But my seats were with Patrick. And I'm like, dude, I, I have this and I, like, I don't want to like leave your side. That sucks. And he's just like, go before I steal your shit. Go before I take the seat for you. Like, OK, see ya. And then, you know, got down to the section. We were in like the sixth row, seventh row or something like that. You know, like right on top of the GA, pretty close. It was maybe the best seats. I've ever had at the Pearl Jam show, you know, not the closest I've ever been, but in seats probably. And, you know, I just started talking with this, this guy and he had a connection with the band. That's no longer really a connection anymore. And I don't feel comfortable really saying it because I don't know who's listening and, you know, but he had a, he had a connection through them and, and the person that was the connection had passed away and they still kind of, you know, whenever he called to see if they had tickets, they still helped him out, which which was really nice. And I didn't know what sitting with him was going to be like, because he obviously wasn't like a fan fan. He just liked the experience kind of deal. So, you know, he's showing me stuff on his phone. I'll, I'll never forget this. He's showing me stuff on his phone and he's showing me stuff from one of the Brooklyn shows from Safeco. And he's just kind of showing me like, you know, I've I've around these places and you know it comes from down in florida and i'm gonna guess that he you know has a little bit of money and has good friends that probably have a little bit of money and he then shows me a picture of him and a friend at mar-a-lago i'm like "Uh oh i better keep my fucking mouth shut <laughs> and he looks at me he's like i was there I had a really nice time, but if I said shit, they would have put me in jail. And I'm like, thank fucking God. Thank goodness. But it's just a fun story. That's just a fun story. That's all that is. I think I can give a little context to the story because we're a few months out from this now. And you're obviously like, you're very collected. You've got some distance from it. But I got a text from you. Like, I don't remember if it was all caps or not, but it was very cryptic because we obviously were doing the reaction shows after we had plans to kind of meet. We we're going to talk to some people like we were doing on the Patreon for the shows. So I get a, a cryptic text from you that's like, if I'm not there from the reaction show, just go ahead and do it. Don't worry, I might not be there. Just go ahead and do it. I'm like, okay, what's going on? You're like, can't say anything. Just, I, I might not be there. I'm like, okay, n no problem. Like, something's going on. So I'm talking to Patrick, you know, talking to a couple of different people. I find out this opportunity that you have. And 
you were pretty excited. I'll say to, to say the least. Who I felt like be? there there was some. You're you're kind of underselling it now, but I think you were you were stoked on this opportunity. I don't blame myself. Yeah. Do you blame me? Not at all. I'm just I just wanted to give a little bit of context for the. Uh, That's fair. For for the hist- historical perspective there. That's fair. Yeah, because you're you're right. When I sit back on it now, I kind of think, oh, no big deal, especially as to what the outcome of the whole thing was. It wasn't life changing right. or anything like that. It was just something that doesn't happen every day and happen on a total fluke and also on the last show of the tour for myself. So it felt like everything was kind of coming together and you know you're you're gathering up this big high after this massive massive trip and it was something pretty cool. I don't use it to like, you know, brag or anything like that. I haven't even thought about it. All I've been talking about is is just shows, but it's pretty cool having that sticker that's his backstage pass on it. And I haven't decided where I want to put it yet, but hopefully on the traveling bag. And hopefully you get to see me in 2023 wearing that proudly. So, all right. I was going to do a question of the week, but I think I'm going to refrain from doing that because I want to go right into the show. Now, this being the last of my shows, I was kind of in chaser mode for this and not that like okay if they don't play these songs i'm going to be upset but like i was ready to hear a bunch of songs i had never heard before and what happened right off the bat i got some clarity on that of the girl my first time hearing it in my 27th show and the first song right away Aside from the gigaton stuff, obviously, there was nothing that I hadn't heard before. So I was going into the third one here thinking, like, you're not going to be disappointed if I don't. But, like, it'd be nice to hear some things I hadn't heard before. And, yeah, two out of these first three, yeah, same for me. The first time I'd heard them. It felt like a last chance. And, you know, more than anything, I I felt like it really set a good Sunday night mood. They always kind of say, like, Sunday nights is the new Saturday night in a way. And they were just in this really radiant and positive mood that night where during Of The Girl, it didn't have that stark feeling to it. It felt like it had a little bit of pep and Ed was kind of laughing the whole way and he was kind of looking out towards the audience and he's doing all these things that, you know, it's more collaborative and it feels like he's reaching out a little bit more and you don't really get of the girl to be like that it's kind of you know they they want to set a tone usually that's like okay bluesy and then let mike go off but it felt like 
they just wanted to connect with the crowd right from the first song and to get it that being of the girl i thought was really really cool yeah you mentioned pep and like the thing i wrote was bouncy like i can't remember a version of of the girl that sounds like this that's got this momentum to it and yeah it sounds really good right from the beginning that was one thing that i was definitely looking out for at the show was like what kind of condition is he gonna be in and and right from the beginning you can tell like oh we can relax he sounds great the way they had changed up the shows was working to save his voice some so yeah i was really stoked for this anytime you get off the girl to start you know it's gonna be a good show and that holding out that last getaway he held that out for a long time like a couple extra seconds and kind of got in almost the low light mode at the end of the song and yeah that i think that kind of put the critics to bed right there he was in good shape and also he had only three shows left so just run on gas if you have to yeah footsteps falling up a massive surprise you know footsteps kind of dabbled within the top five a little bit and especially the one that comes to mind is apollo where it opened and i think this was one and obviously i'd seen it tons of times but this was one that i was kind of thinking that day like if i were to see a bunch of songs that i haven't seen in the other five shows yet that it's time to see footsteps like i'd be a little disappointed had i not seen it all tour and right away like again it's like another song that to me just uplifting i know the song is not meant to be uplifting but honestly this version was this usually has a little bit of a moody overcast but this kind of felt again in the same way of of the girl like they connected with the crowd they collaborated with them and that kind of shows what headspace they were in you know they, they wanted to play these songs that are usually a bit more darker but you know they found the light in them the crowd is the thing that stuck out for me and especially you know remembering being there because like i was sitting with bradley one of our patrons we were kind of i think the second row on the left side on mike's side kind of halfway back so i had that whole section kind of behind me and there was a few times this night that i heard this like roar from behind me of almost like a drone of of voices like chanting singing being part of the show and footsteps was the first time that that happened i'm i heard the crowd behind me and just like oh my god like that's resonating in my chest like it was it was loud in there this is where i think you start to feel like there's an energy in this building like something special is happening here and it's one of those things that you just can't describe it doesn't always happen in shows but there was an energy in that building and footsteps is one that obviously a crowd favorite people love it you could tell like people were into the song like it was loud in that building right off the bat too i want to mention this but the first two songs kind of tell a little bit of the story because you get a lot of Footsteps era songs, especially in Yonkor, it's nothing but stuff that was written before 1992. And that's part of the story, but also there's a ton of songs that were 2000 songs here. You have a binaural song, you have a Riot Act song, you have an Avocado song, which was really rare, and obviously a Lightning Bolt song that's about to come next, but No No Code, No Yield, they definitely had a theme going on, and I wonder if that was just due to anything can happen on a Sunday night or here's some songs that we haven't been playing for a while so here you go and it's the beginning of a very spread out reverse mama song 
<laughs> I didn't even think about it that way, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ed wants to thank everybody, say good evening, and said it's summer in St. Louis and we couldn't be happier to be here. He said that at every show that I went to. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because like literally two days later, it wasn't summer anymore. It's September. So considering it to be summer, I think brought a little bit more positivity and radiance out of it. I think it says we're going to play a few more in first gear, then we'll ramp it up. But I want to honor the history of music in St. Louis that sometimes gets overshadowed by what happened in Chicago. There's a reason why there's a music note on your hockey jersey there. The ukulele's out, and he goes through this whole thing. He's like, hey, for kids, you know, they're affordable. It's kind of a gateway instrument into playing music for the rest of your life. It could be a good friend, especially when you're down and depressed, because a ukulele has a very happy tune to it. And he also mentioned that this was the 12th anniversary of his wedding with Jill. And, you know, she's at home doing work that's harder than them. And, you know, that was all nice and good, but... It's not a ukulele smash. When he was doing that whole thing, and and I think we've talked about it before, that this was shtick and this was all kind of planned. And you look at the ukulele in hindsight and everything, and that's a plant. It's not plugged into anything. He was going to smash it the whole entire way. And you know what? I've never seen him smash a ukulele before, so I was just thrilled to be in attendance for it. God damn it. It definitely got people's attention because, like I said, coming off of Footsteps of Big Crowd Moment, then he goes on this long speech, and I think people were starting to like, okay, let's let's wrap mm-hmm. this up. When he, and like he plays it off as like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of wasting time to see if this ukulele is going to work. And he's looking around like, guys, come on, what's going on? The switch flips, and he's fuck it and just smashes the thing. And you could hear like people gasping almost like oh my god like okay it was a fun moment and yeah like 99 percent sure that that was planned but i mean it probably had the desired effect it got people into it it got people worked up you're at a rock and roll show on a sunday night and yeah smash the fucking thing let's go yeah this was the only time i ever got excited for sleeping by myself right either seeing it live and i don't think I've seen it more than twice, but also podcast wives too, you know, because yeah. we usually yeah. kind of step aside on this song. But there, there was, was something cool. For the Lucan version of it. That would have been nice. That yeah. would have been nice. But there is actually something really funny that happens before they really get into the song. Mike walks over and takes a little piece of the ukulele out of its hand. Right, right. And that was pretty funny. So that kind of thing just instantly puts you in a good mood. Sleeping by myself was fun because it's coming off of that moment. It doesn't make a difference what the performance was. It's pretty much like any other version. But you know what? Honestly, I thought that this had a nice little vibe to it. But again, that could be tied into what the moment was. If he didn't do that, if he just kind of went on this lengthy speech and on and on and on, then sleeping by myself is kind of like, okay, it's a divider. I'm sure he wanted to play it in the set. Because of what he said before, because, you know, the whole idea of the song, and I think he said he wrote it when he was lonely. And I'm going to guess that this one in the early part of the set is not going to bring the crowd into it as maybe you'd want. So it's a ukulele. It's not really the height of Pearl Jam. So do something fun 
and get people's attention and make a moment of it. And that's exactly what they did. I think you're right. Like, I didn't hate this. And if you had told me before, like, you're going to get sleeping by myself, I'd have been like, oh, all right, fine. Yeah. But it fit in with what they were doing. And, like, yeah, he definitely he definitely made it memorable. All right. Do you know what Mercury in retrograde means? It's happening right now. It's not a good time for big decisions. Don't propose tonight. Don't even get to third base. Don't tell your boss to fuck off for the next two weeks. If I ask for the sound of the crowd, please oblige me, and I promise the next song will be as loud as you are. Retrograde. I saw this the first time in Camden. These were the only two versions I got to see, but I was blown away. And it just felt like, especially when they were kind of getting into the start where they're about to pound through and, and really out, out of the beautiful chorus that it has, it felt like it just progressively got louder and just drew you in. And this version had some of the same thing. What the song is about, I kind of think it's a little bit akin to a love song to Mother Earth saying, you know, we care about you and we're concerned. But also, this song goes through perhaps its own climate change of sorts. It's very beautiful. It has a wonderful chorus, uplifting, just a, a, a warm tone to it. And then something happens in the middle where it's time to go off. And this thing starts becoming a percussion clinic. Is there a This was one that I had on my short list of ones from Gigaton that I wanted to hear. It might have been number one on that list. I remember being very excited when it started. Like, here we go. This is going to be something really cool. And like you said, it it almost like lulls you in with this kind of like soft kind of like build and like keeps going, keeps going up, keeps going up. And then there's a moment where he said, you know, is it thunder or the crowd? He mentions he's like, I'm going to ask for help. I need you. And he goes, is there a crowd? And again, that roar from behind me, which I would not have expected on a gigaton song. 
when they kick in, and this is obviously the the kick out the chairs moment. You see Stone and Mike first thing. Mike just jumps up off his chair and starts going immediately. He did not like the chair. It any it show. Got, it got loud in that building, and that was the loudest I heard of all three shows that I went to, and probably the loudest I'd heard them in a long time. Like they were putting everything they had into the outro of the song, and it absolutely thundered that building. Like I was blown away at how good this was. Yeah. Same. I don't have much differentiation from that, except I've kind of equated it a little bit to the way that parting ways ends. And it kind of like starts. It's a little bit, this one is a little bit more moody while I, I see a lot of positivity from retrograde, but then something kicks in at the end and just completely controlled chaos in the same way it's kind of driven by matt it just keeps getting louder and louder as it continues to grow and i think that's probably why the crowd just felt that within the song i think there was some vibration within the building where you kind of felt it in the seats you kind of felt it in the ground a little bit and it's so weird to say that for a song like retrograde that it's only been played a handful of times and it does that because songs that do that are usually corduroy and do the evolution kind of songs just knowing that there was a reaction like that for that, for them, probably had to feel real good. You want one to stand out as extremely special. This one was, it's kick out the chairs, and then you're going to get into three pretty good rockers right off the top. It's going to be Last Exit, Life Wasted, Dissident. Nashville, Last Exit, I didn't really love. I thought it was a little sloppy on the intro, but at a retrograde, you wanted something a little bit familiar, like you wanted to kind of get back to like a happy, like clapping and, and head bombing kind of song. And it was exactly the right pivot in momentum that they needed. But I think out of the three, Life Wasted was the one that stood out the most. I agree. And I think that coming off of retrograde this little section of I mean, the next got six or seven songs it was just banger after banger like they were on fire here and i think i don't know if it was the energy in the building the energy they were getting back from the crowd the way that they just felt like they were just having a great night on stage the attitude of the band on stage you mentioned early on but starting with retrograde i'm remembering now i'm almost getting goosebumps thinking about how good this was like following last exit two songs that i really don't even like in life wasted and distant probably in my bottom 15 or 20 of pearl jam songs if i had to make that list both almost top highlights from this show life wasted i thought was maybe the best version i'd ever heard Mike, especially at the end when he just collapses on that speaker cabinet and just throttling his guitar into making this otherworldly noise was just incredible. And like everyone in that building was on a high. And then Dissident even coming off of that, another moment where like I didn't hear the crowd, I felt the crowd like in my chest. And I remember hearing that drone of voices just singing along being like, Man, this is this is something special right here. I have nothing bad to say about anything from this little section right here. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Life Wasted for me, if I can kind of figure it out and explain it, was that sometimes the song can end up being a little overly anthemic, where it's almost like you're trying a little too hard with it. Like, okay, this is going to be the rock and roll show type song. 
that's kind of the problem that I've had with it the last couple of years when listening to avocado shows and all that. But this right here, you know, they hadn't played it all year. This is going to be the only time. And I guess they just dropped that idea of making it an anthemic song. And it just kind of became a powerhouse that way. Like they kind of just let it be on its own and they kind of let it breathe a little bit. They're letting songs breathe this, this year a little bit more, and they did that with this. Stuff like that, and not going full explosion, especially on the end, allows Mike to sound like he does, because that whole last chorus, Mike is putting on a clinic, and it stood out, and I think that, going on your point, you know, when songs that you don't really vibe with sometimes stand out, those are going to end up being the moments that you remember because it kind of ends up changing your mind. All right, Ed makes mention to a guy who was air drumming. He was definitely to my right and a handful of rows above where I was sitting. But then Ed tries to get him to air drum along with Matt Phil, and it doesn't really work. So Ed says, to be good, you need a great drummer, but to be great, you need the best. And of course... Praises Matt Cameron to the high heavens. Then we get into whoever said. This song was on a big time hot streak in September. It just burst out the speakers every single night. One of three songs I saw every single night that I went. And it also in September, 10 out of the 12 shows it got played. So that's how you know they were feeling on it. And this took over as the gigaton song of the tour which I think a lot of us thought would end up being Quick Escape or even in a way Dance of Clairvoyance, but it's always the ones that you kind of don't expect. And while I thought that Whoever Said would be a really, really good live song, it did suffer from time-wise. You kind of mentioned that a lot, but I thought when they bring this together live, it works much better than what it is on the record because you're having different pieces and you can kind of do things in different pieces and see the band doing things and then just get to that last bit and have it all kind of come full circle. I I was really into this and it felt like every single night that I saw it, it got better than the last. It, just a phenomenal version. I can see that and again, two gigaton songs in the first eight here i'm on cloud nine that's impressive like, this is like they're basically uh, we're getting the whole record tonight like let's keep yeah. going let's do this another song that i don't really like but it was good and like especially the ending which if you catch me on a, on a certain day i say probably shouldn't even be part of the song but like after they get through the devo part they kick back in there was some energy on stage you could tell like like you said they were on a really good run with it and i believe you like it kept getting better i think you know this one was the best of the three that i saw Yeah. The broken heart is 
something to mention here and I have no proof of this or anything and I really don't even know if whoever said was the right song but Eddie kind of stepped on an amp or a speaker or something like that and he was trying to get the energy in our section and what I'll say about the section that I was sitting in was it was a lot of people that were probably given tickets by the band later in the show where he goes and shouts out a friend that friend is sitting like three rows down from me so i think that we're kind of in the friends and family section on this Hmm. and they're watching with more intent than they are like singing along and celebrating so when ed comes over and he's kind of like engaging with people i just put my finger out and i pointed to him and I didn't think he was going to catch my eye or anything. And I see him, it must have been to me, because I don't know who else is doing that. He pointed right back. I'm like, ah, that's cool. All right. But I ha- yeah. also have no proof of that. And it could have been during Evenflow. Like, it was definitely not a song he was playing guitar on. And it felt like it was kind of in the early half of the show. So I'm going to say and stick to it being whoever said, because he's all over the stage during the song. He's all over it. So, all right. Ed mentions the relationship between Stone and Jeff, who got together all the way back in 1984. Do you want to hear something nuts? You want to hear something crazy right now? He says that this is for somebody in Newcastle, Australia. His friend Grace. We love your sense of adventure. Now, Newcastle rings a bell. Because in the month of November, we ended up covering the only Newcastle show that ever happened, which happens to be a phenomenal show in its own right in 2006. So I went back. I'm like, who's Grace? I looked at my notes. Grace is Mark Richards' daughter. That's right. Fun to kind of put that connection together. Yeah, I I felt like I kind of remembered him saying, like, uh, shouting out Gracie or something like that. And now, what are we? This is, like, over 15 years later, and she's made it to the States for a show. And Ed, at one point, gave her father the pen to write the show, and now he's shouting her out in the show. So, yeah, very, very cool moment. And, you know, not a lot of people are probably thinking about that in the moment. It took a little bit of putting point A to point B on that to put it together, but glad glad we figured it out. I Am Mine into Corduroy. We're playing songs from eight of their 11 albums tonight, and Riot Act really feels like the one that a lot of people, not just me, but a lot of people were like, where are the Riot Act songs all tour? They played I Am Mine a couple times. They played Save You a couple times, but then only once for Love Boat Captain and Half Full. So Riot Act was not impactful on this tour at all but it really felt like you kind of had to bottle up the versions of the riot act songs whenever they appeared and i am mine you know i i had been listening to all the live streams and i thought even going back to ohana a little bit i thought that there was just something amiss with it that like the guitars were off something was just not working and happy to hear in this version that that wasn't the case at all. Like, whatever they had that was complicated, they ended up figuring it out. And they put together a really, really good version of this here. It is very good. And again, this, this section is just one after another incredible. The intro of I Am Mine is super fast. And I'm thinking, like, wow, like, how are they going to pull this off? But then, like... Matt slows it down when he comes in. Like, all right, let's 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 get this back to a manageable pace here. But it starts off 
just blistering. Ed's guitar playing was really purposeful. You could tell when he's got something on his mind and when he's feeling it, that his guitar playing like ratchets up a notch, like it gets a little heavier. The Townsend in him comes out a little bit more. And you, you could tell that on this version. And again, I have to mention it, if any version was ever crying out for Mike to go off for another 30 seconds or a minute, this was it. Yeah, I, I'll also say this, that Ed will channel that for another song that's coming up in a little bit too that he was thinking about something or someone and gave it a little extra emphasis on. Corduroy also, what was interesting really about this first half of the set was that Corduroy was your even flow. And when you're this far into a set, which is a little bit more than half at this point, not getting even flow feels almost in a way like a victory to the fact that it feels like a different show. Now we're going to get it the 12th song in 13th song in whatever it is, but it felt different because it was just away from the other stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, you weren't waiting for the even flow moment in this and it just felt different. Another one again to where the crowd was very, very good. And it had been a long time since I'd been in a crowd where Ed like trusts the crowd to do that call and response where he'll go off and oh that whole thing that he does when he's like in a good mood with the crowd. And that was very, very cool. I remember just the crowd jumping on that call and response immediately. Those are always good version. He even gives a shout out like, Oh, good singing after again capping off this version of like six or seven just amazing performances one after the other corduroy was kind of the apex of that where it took everything that came before and just built it up and spit it right back out in a very good way yeah excellent version ed's gonna talk here about missouri issues there's apparently a lot of them and one of the ones that they're dealing with the most is that they are three times the national average in overdoses And he gives out a shout to Project Red, who teaches people how to notice when an overdose is happening, identify it. And he kind of equates it sort of to knowing CPR in order to know this, which is just that was fascinating. Like, I didn't realize, recognize that stuff because I'd never been around anybody who's had an overdose before. And yeah, it is good stuff to know. So might be interesting to look into. But he also said the next song is about another issue but we won't talk about that one. I don't know if he was talking about the issue of me not completing my Versus songs. I I don't think so, but it ended up happening. It was a big surprise. I talked about Chasers earlier, and I talked about Of The Girl being a Chaser song, except for the one that's gonna come in a few songs later. Glorified G just felt like just a massive surprise, and at heart like i love the fact that i was able to kind of check off another album and i just went totally bananas at this like whatever lug capacity that i still had left in me i just use it up and even at the end i was recording it and i didn't record too much at any of the shows that i went to you know outside of the live stream that i did but i felt like recording the end of this just kind of like a memento to to keep for the quote-unquote achievement and after the song ended, I turned it around back on me and I made a little check mark in the end to say, after 27 shows, it's done. And it kind of, for me at least, made the version feel really good. And yeah, just loved it. And again, like, if you had shown this to me on paper, like, if I had gotten the set list leaked to me, I would have been like, huh, oh, really? Like, again, I've talked about it. 
like Sleeping By Myself, not one of my favorite songs. Life Wasted Dissonant, whoever said Glorified G, another one where, like, on paper, I'm like, eh, pass. Like, I've seen it already. It doesn't really do anything for me. But this was a pretty good version. And I think this is kind of the reset of the main set here. You know, after Corduroy talks for a long time about, like, what you mentioned, bums everybody out, which is fine. Unfortunately, kind of had a little bit of a resurgence in relevance this year. So, yeah, I can see why they stuck it in here. But, again, yeah. On paper, this set does nothing for me, but but being there, it was it was really special. Yeah, funny how those things work out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now we're finally getting into the ten songs of the night. Who would have known? And honestly, they're starting with once and even flow. So maybe I I even said this I think to myself, but I'm like, oh, now we're getting the full album. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think I yeah. I entertained that thought for a second, and then I was like, oh, okay. Because you, yeah, you time it out, know. you're like, this is song 12, there's 11 songs that, that works out. Like It did. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, it doesn't last It's going to be Once Even Flow in Small Town. What from this, I thought it was cool that they turned to the back for Small Town, especially it's not in the encore. It's kind of happened towards the latter part of the main set. But what of the three sticks out to you? The Crowd on Once, again, another song that... I've said this before, I prefer kind of the latter-day versions to the earlier versions. The crowd was really good on it. And then Mike's Evenflow solo, which, you know, a lot of times we just kind of go over, oh, it was this one was Hendrix or this one was the Stevie Ray Vaughan. It felt like kind of really fluid and felt like it fit with the vibe of the song and like he was really channeling something cool. It didn't feel like he was doing an impression of someone. It felt like it was coming from him. And then there's a cool moment where Ed, like, comes back all right lift us back up asking for help and like the crowd on these two just really stuck out to me as being really good this is a very good crowd and i you know i don't just say that because you and i were there everyone in that building was on board yeah now okay let's get into this moment and this moment has a special meaning for so many different reasons and we're going to start with one that was the purpose for this happening Ed says, this one is a request from a woman named Debbie, our hearts go out to you. So during the span of September, I actually got to know Debbie pretty well. And we bonded over our love for the song Sad. And mostly because I think we were watching the Hamilton live stream and both of us kind of just threw our arms in the air and said, well, we're that we're toast for the shows that we go to. Cause of course they're never going to, they're not going to play it. And then she told me the story that I'm about to tell you guys right now. And I think you'll just have to listen to it and, and hear how this whole thing went down. So this is right from Debbie. Sad has always been one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. Despite its somber lyrics, Sad gives me life from the second the opening guitar riff kicks in. The song makes my heart race with excitement, but it never resonated until 2021. Then it became more. It became personal. Right before Christmas of 2020, my healthy dad, a Korean War vet and amazing human being, had a routine preventative procedure go wrong and end up as sepsis due to a human error. After improving, more medical negligence led to his unexpected passing in April of 2022. Seven months later, my father-in-law of over 20 years passed away. Thanks to the COVID pandemic, I hadn't seen either of them since 2019 and never got to say goodbye. Fast forward to September 2022, where Sad has become the unfortunate theme song of my mom and mother-in-law's lives after losing their husbands over 50 years. 
and their loneliness is proof. As the North American tour began, I noticed that Sad had been scratched off the Quebec City set list, excited at the thought that Sad might be played for the first time since 2016. I decided I needed to hear it for my own sanity. Go big or go home, right? I had seen requests before on the PJ forum, so I began telling my story there. I said how happy it would make me to hear it in Nashville or St. Louis more importantly. I got real by sharing photos and stories of these incredible men in my life. Since I love to design things, and my pictures speak louder than words, I made sad request graphics, both with the band and photos of my dad's. I shared those around social media, as well as posting on every PJ setlist post. I even wrote a few people that I thought would be able to help get my request noticed by the band. It became a mission for me, and a way to heal a little bit by keeping my dad and my father-in-law's memory alive. When I heard Sad was played in Hamilton, I was very jealous and nervous that it was a one-shot only deal this tour, but I didn't give up. They were just perfecting it until I was there to hear it. Again, Sad was listed as an optional song on the MSG setlist, but not played. But there was still hope. Nashville came and went, and no Sad, but there was St. Louis. The stars lined up from my seats in St. Louis as a PJ buddy hooked me up with seats two rows from the stage on Mike McCready's side. I was so close and absolutely giddy. Sad or not, this was going to be an unforgettable night. About 90 minutes in, the band had just finished Small Town to the back, and Ed stepped up to the mic and said, this is a request from a woman named Debbie. I heard but thought, no, it can't be me. Then Ed continued, hearts go out to you. We're also thinking about... And then he kind of paused, looked down, and quietly strummed his guitar. I still wonder what he was about to say, but then finishes, we're just thinking about you. I still wasn't sure if this was me, and then there it was. The distinctive guitar sound of Sad. The song I had cranked so loudly in my car so many times, dreaming of hearing it live. I turned to my husband, who's a PJ newbie unfamiliar with the song, and said, this is for our dads. I stared at the arena ceiling for a second, and then the stage with my hand over my mouth, teary-eyed, and in total awe and disbelief of the first verse, then proceed to sing as loud as humanly possible. I was so dumbfounded at this surreal moment, I hadn't even noticed that Ed messed up the first line until I saw it on YouTube, but I didn't care. He was just emotional over my story, I told myself. To this day, I still can't believe it happened. Eddie Vedder knew my story and was compelled enough to honor my request in memory of my dad and father-in-law. It is a moment I will cherish forever and thankfully get to relive over and over again on bootleg. Pearl Jam heard me. They listen to us. They love us. They are truly the best band in the world, and I couldn't love them more. Just amazing. Thank you so much to Debbie because I spoke to her a couple times and I know she was struggling a little bit writing this and going through it. And I really, you know, from the bottom of both of our hearts, thank you for doing it. I know how how challenging it it must have been, but, you know, your story is an inspiration to, to so many who go through the same sort of situation with loss and and all that. So, yeah, just thank you for all that. And you're right. Like sad hits and of course any other person's reaction isn't going to mean the same as your reaction deb but i hear that hi-hat tap and when i hear that like sometimes i'm good at kind of predicting a song through 
like what the open for it's going to be. Like I kind of remember some of the things that Matt does specifically with some songs. And when I heard that, I'm like, that can't be anything else but sad. And it was. Sad was my number one song I was chasing for this entire tour. I actually, when I was sitting there, I didn't even put two and two together with, with Debbie. I was just in kind of a state of shock in a way. You know, there was actually a point, honestly, where my jaw was kind of frozen in place. And then I can kind of hear myself talking to myself during this saying, enjoy this, enjoy this, stop gushing over this and sing along and move around and enjoy this damn thing. Don't look on in amazement, just enjoy this. And I loosened up and I just fucking sang my lungs out. This was a song that I listened to a lot in the pandemic and just honestly still to this day, like gushing about this and on an extreme high, just that I was being able to get in the building just to hear this. And it's exactly everything that you want out of seeing this live. It's tight, captures amazing energy. And again, like you said, with I Am Mine, it really felt like they took Debbie's story and gave it purpose. Excellent version. I too, I remember we've kind of been, we're on the back half of the set here. You just come off a bunch of verses, 10 songs, kind of not expecting something like this to pop up here. I remember when it started just being ecstatic, like, oh, wow, this is just icing on the cake at this point. They're just pulling out everything to make this show really special. And yeah, an incredible version of the song. One of the highlights of the night. Absolutely. It's coming back in my three and, you know, I don't think it'll be any surprise as to where it ends up. All right. Dance of Clairvoyance follows up and then you're going to end your set with Go. Last week, we kind of got into Dance of Clairvoyance and kind of released an extra bit over on Patreon that kind of had a tail end to that. We won't get really deep into this, but I think 
the argument there was that it was not a very crowd reactive song, but hearing this version as opposed to the Frankfurt version definitely changed my mind in a way. Like, yeah, there's no typical call and response moment, but the crowd was really hot on this, I thought. Yeah, last week I think one thing we talked about was the placement of it, and I don't spend too much time worrying about that usually, but with a song like this that's so different, it does matter. And I think I mentioned last week, I think having it be as near the end of a main set would probably be better. And I think this is a really good placement for it coming off of something really big, like sad to kind of have a little bit of a reset before you're going to kick into the end. I think that works really well. And it, it did feel like this one was kind of like, okay, we've earned this a little bit. Like I mentioned last week, it's a little bit more of a spectator type song. It's not as participatory as, as some of the other stuff that had preceded it, but it still felt like it had some energy to it. Ed does the thing after the every tomorrow is the same as before. He kind of does the oh, fucking COVID line, like sounds just like COVID, which he was thrown in a couple of times throughout the year. So yeah, another Gigaton song, which is great. The more the merrier. It had some good energy to it. I don't, I'm not as down on this one as I was on last week's. Before we go, we get Ed kind of shouting out to his friends over here. He said, we're very fortunate over the years. We've made more friends than ever. And he shouts out a bunch of guys. The first is, and for a lot of people, this will be kind of another reveal as with uh, what we just said with Grace before. But I have confirmation when he says a pitcher for the Cardinals who he didn't name because he didn't want to get him in trouble. Well, guess what? I don't give a fuck about getting him in trouble because I messaged the guy and he told me, yep, it was it was him. And it was Adam Wainwright. So there's the answer to that. And if you don't know, Adam's actually a really, really huge Pearl Jam fan, too. And I got to talk to him a little bit about what he thought of the show. And he said that Footsteps and Dissident were his two favorite moments. So pretty cool. Also, uh, Adam Wainwright, Georgia guy, born in Brunswick, Georgia. So Adam, if you're out there listening, if you if you got some connections, hook us up with a, with a show down here, man. That was really desperate, but I'll let it, it go. Was. I'll take it. <laughs> He's a Georgia guy, man. He, he drafted by the Braves, I think, and ended up trading him. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Which is weird. They keep all their homegrown guys. I know. Right? And pay him yeah. dirt cheap money for yeah. like 10 years. He does mention Albert Pujols and Close. says that he fixed his ear infection. <laughs> We need more clarification on that. We need that story some point. If he ever goes on like Pearl Jam Radio again and just does an open forum, I might ask that because that's just so interesting. A couple other people that were there too, Hopper, whose father is Sean Penn, and there was a first responder from back home. His name is Pat Dunn, and he said, it's just good to have friends who don't go on you. And Go is going to be the closer of this set. I didn't go back and look at all the sets, but I'm pretty positive that Porch and Rearview Mirror were the only main set closers outside of Go. This is the only time that Go closed a set, and I don't think any other song besides those three closed one on this tour. And Go had a little bit of a weird year here. Go wasn't played until the 20th show this year. The first time being at Paris, which is kind of weird looking back because that's also the show that his, his voice went, went dead. They did it in Nashville, too, which kind of felt like a surprise coming out of that encore. But doing it here, another one, it kind of 
made this set list stand out in comparison to the other ones. And it's like, okay, we're zagging where everybody else is zigging, so we're gonna throw this in and we're not gonna do Porch or Rearview Mirror tonight, which honestly, not doing Porch on any of these shows was a huge shocker. So it was another thing that made the show stand out. Yeah, big surprise, and I liked it coming off of Dance of the Clairvoyance. Like, I, I don't mind that at all. Like, yeah, give us a rager after something like Dance. But as far as the performance itself, I thought it was a little hair slower. Normally, you know, we, you think of Go as being just burning, just fast as possible. But this one, I won't say, like, album version, because that one is a little bit faster. I haven't come back and listened to that in a while. But... It did feel like this one was just uh, air slower, which gave it a little more space, a little more room for Mike to work with, like we talked about earlier. And then the big moment on this is when it's done, Ed just mic drop, walks off stage, done. That's all there is to do sometimes. He knew what happened. He knew that everything was in good yeah. spirits. And yeah, you earned that. All right, we're at the encore. Let's pause for station identification real quick. Talk a little bit about whatever we got to talk about. So we're recording this before any of our events happen, but I just want to, in retrospect, point out that anybody that attended the holiday party, thank you, and hopefully you had a good time, and hopefully the whole thing turned out really well. And anybody that attended the Setlist Draft live stream, I hope you guys enjoyed that too, and congratulations to whoever won that. Whoever the winner was, congratulations, because I have no idea who, who it's going to be. I cannot foretell the future at this. So those two events, I'm sure that they were a blast. I'm sure that everybody had a good time. That's kind of what we seek to do. But I have no information on it as I sit here the Wednesday before everything happens. So, yeah, the only other thing is just thank you, you know, the whole entire year. I think one of our things back in like September or something was could we get to 200 patron supporters before our 200th episode? And we did. And we're still at over 200, which is just very exciting to see that many people who take the time out and want to support us that way because it's a big deal. To want to support somebody financially is a big deal. And we don't take lightly on that. So we did something for them at the holiday party. We, we revealed it and we put out a Dirty Frank Evolution episode. So probably got a lot of people excited and happy. So if you want to go and listen to that, that's over on Patreon. I'll just do the thing real quick. Patreon.com slash live on four legs. Patreon app live on four legs. Live on four legs.com. Patreon button. The three tiers. You can donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. The tiers will give you stuff. And I suggest just looking down what the information is there. It's, it's available. I want to get back into the show. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. So again, thank you to all the patrons. And hopefully, if you're thinking about it, definitely would love your support in the future. All right, back to the rock. Ed saying the first time we played St. Louis was December of 1991, opening for the Chili Peppers. July of 1992, I'll never forget playing outside with Soundgarden at Lollapalooza. And then Mike plays a little snippet of Super Unknown there. And then he praises the Sunday Night crowd as the greatest St. Louis crowd that they ever had. We're going to continue with this next song, and it sounds like this. This is where you get the combo. The singles combo, it's the 30-year anniversary, one in Rome, you gotta do it. Sometimes they don't take advantage of these things, you know? When they're playing 
a show and something like this like i'll go back to not playing breath even at msg like i thought that that was gonna be a shoe in not even mentioning it but they do have a penchant for history and they did honor it with these two songs here and it wasn't the first time that they played them in a combo this year and it was actually the third time that I've seen this combo together, which is kind of weird and crazy. But I think this moment kind of meant more just because it was an anniversary. And both songs, I thought, sounded really electric. Give all the praise to Josh for knowing what da- mm-hmm. the date was. What did you think about both State and Breath? You mentioned earlier we're, we're going to be all 1991 stuff from here on out. I think State of Love and Trust is the perfect way to start an encore if you're going to do shows like this. We're not resetting. Ed's not coming out and doing solo stuff. You want to come out firing. And that riff to State of Love and Trust, as soon as that started, I think everyone, you know, you kind of get that encore sluggishness. We're like, all right, like, let's take a breath. And people are kind of sitting down like, okay, let's see what they got. And then starting State of Love and Trust, everyone's immediately back in and screaming along and up on their feet and immediately back into it. I think that's the perfect song to come back with. As far as Josh, yeah, I mean, Ed mentions we should clarify too. Ed says it's it's the anniversary of the soundtrack. That's actually not That's true. Right. The soundtrack came out in July of 92. This is the anniversary of the actual movie premiere that was September 18th of 92. So still very cool. Good movie singles if you haven't watched it in a while. Go check it out. Um, watched it in over a decade. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty good. Pretty good. But yeah, Breath is the one that when he comes in and like he kind of teases it like here's here's the other one. And just another one where you could just feel the crowd like everyone singing along at full capacity in that building. And it really felt special. Mike has an absolutely wonderful solo at the end. It's just fantastic and perfect for the moment breath another one that whenever you get it i mean it's been played a quarter of the times that that state of love and trust has but whenever you get breath it's it's always really cool and another one that felt like they were treating this as a special show and then pulling out some really cool things absolutely fantastic i think in a way if you had five songs to end this particular show i think that they hit all five of them out of the park and i don't think i was again no covers right and I don't think I would have wanted anything else in return. I think that they hit them all on the head. And especially, like, State of Love and Trusted Breath, like, you, you said it, like, coming back in with that, like, there's no meandering at all. And going back right to where they left off. And Breath, every single time I, I see it, it feels like it gets more meaningful because time just goes on. And this song is one of theirs that ages like fine wine which is crazy because you know the single soundtrack when you think of that it's so deep into 1992 and kind of like set in an era however breath and state of love and trust have found their way out to now and still resonate with hundreds thousands of people and you know just hearing both of them together for the second time in the year just really excellent
so I mentioned before that there were some songs that I really would have liked to hear at the end of my little run. And while I did get to hear it in Nashville, you know, great version too. Obviously, the sit-down version is really special. It felt like something that you're almost never going to get again, possibly. But to get Black in the comfort food spot that Black is in, like the one that hits you right before you're going to say goodbye and have a party moment, like, I was missing that from some of these shows in this run. And I really needed that kind of cathartic moment to come out like screaming the why and doing the doo 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 doos, like doing all of that. It felt like the perfect way to in a way say goodbye. And Black is just one of those songs is so transcendent and it gets the whole entire crowd. I wouldn't be surprised you turning around again and hearing that crowd again like this was another one. And yeah, I guess maybe I didn't even know how much I needed it, but it was something that felt so comfortable for a Pearl Jam set and put me in just a wonderful mood for the end of it. Like this I couldn't again ask for a better encore and better choices. And how many times have we seen where coming off of a big moment then you get black. Like how many times have they done Crown of Thorns into black or come back into black or something like State of Love and Trust into black. Like this is the one that takes that momentum and builds it up and the wave crashes and like lets it out. Yeah, black here is it's just perfect. Again, this is a great mic show. Like we've mentioned the whole night. An absolutely wonderful mic solo again. A great we belong together this is just what the show needed at this time i absolutely loved it as well just one that i just can't get enough of this was definitely a more celebratory version of black rather than like something that was soulful it seemed like it was being played for a positive reason rather than some of the mournful reasons that they usually do and the triumphant feeling to it, yeah, yeah it absolutely did and ed at the end when he's doing the we belong together he's he's soaking all of that in like you're hearing it from all parts of the arena it's going to be one of the best moments of the night for them especially when it comes late and you're like yep they're still together this is still one of the best crowds and yeah black hit a home run at the show a lot of home runs at the show but black was a no doubter to the end and the real celebratory moments of Alive and Ledbetter and once Alive hit, it hit me. 
you know, once I heard the, the opening riff, it just hit that this is it. This is the last point that my trip was going to end and my adventure was going to end. And I won't lie, I got a little bit, you know, I got a little bit teary-eyed because this is something I've never done before. I've never done the road trip through the country to go and follow them. Really, the big time to do it was before my era. And then by the time that maybe I should have done it, I was working a whole lot and didn't really have time to do it. But going to these shows definitely made it harder on my wife and my father and mother-in-law who took care of my one-year-old as I went to go kind of live a dream, I suppose. And I'll never, ever take this for granted at all. Like just meeting everybody, especially because everywhere you go, you go in a hotel, you see people. You go into a bar, you see people. And you just, I kind of mentioned it before, the family reunion thing. It, that's what it is. It's, it's like everybody gets together for one big gathering a year. Some people go to the next one. Some people go to the next one. But, you know, in a blink of an eye, it's over. And you just have to be in the moment to just celebrate all of this and enjoy that you're there. It's not going to last for a long time. You're only going to get this moment once, but you can wake up tomorrow morning happy. And it's crazy to think this, but I did not have a post-tour hangover because I was so happy at what I experienced, which I think is a rare for a lot of people. Yeah, and like for me, you know, we listen to all these bootlegs for all these weeks throughout the year, and you hear alive so many times you forget how special it is live and what a communal experience it is live and when you're in that building with people and you're feeling it just hearing it in in the building with them instead of you know sitting in my laptop with headphones in made a world of difference and yeah i mean i i remember just being just euphoric when this was playing like part of it too like this was an incredible show an incredible weekend they pulled it off they showed that like yeah they can still do this this was really a fantastic moment for me and for a lot of people in the night just you could tell the crowd on this was really really good as well just capping off a great night yeah what was funny about when they turned the house lights on i knew a couple people that were down in ga and they were pretty close to my section and I actually there was one point where I caught Anthony I caught him down there and kind of was, was sort of level with him sort of parallel with him so he'd be able to see me if, and I texted him midway through I said just look to your right and you know he was just like whoa okay, cool and just one of those moments and again sort of small world there but I saw Tanya at the end too kind of towards the back and it's crazy because, you know, while Alive and Ledbetter are going on, I'm having these conversations with my friends as the song is, is happening. And, like, I'm kind of showing them, well, like, you know, very excited again, the backstage pass. And they're like, whoa, what, where'd you get that? What, and having to go through some of the story there. And it's just fun. It's just fun to be around people at shows. And, you know, I, I sat with a guy who was wonderful to be around and really thank him for being as generous as he is his name is mark weston and yeah you know and he was there and he definitely enjoyed the show but there's nothing like being around your friends for stuff like this 
and experiencing it with them. And even though, of course, security wouldn't let me on the floor for you know three minutes to go and celebrate with them, I was right on the top of the step, and we all sang together, and it was fantastic. And even after live, something happened where they put their guitars down. It seemed like, okay, this is it. We're going to say goodbye right here. They kind of played it up a lot. And I wonder if this wasn't in the plan or if it was in the plan they were just toying with us a little bit but everybody kind of goes back they're like yeah this crowd deserves one more and they go back and do lead better yep again lead better just felt really celebratory like they knew they had just pulled off something special and they were just like letting the whole night sink in without a doubt now i guess i gotta cap off the whole backstage pass story. So after it all ends, I go and find Sabelle and Suzette and we're really excited. We're just like, we just want the information. And of course, if you ask security, the, the guys that are in the building, the guys that, you know, are supposed to know everything and know where to go. One person says this way. Another person says that way. Another person says, no, you can't go anywhere. And it's just an ultimate disaster. But I found out where we were supposed to go. We were supposed to go like the other end of the stage, you know, towards the back. And we went down. There were a couple people sitting there, all with stickers, with backstage passes. They're not really doing anything. People are just kind of standing around. And, you know, it didn't happen. But what actually happened during it was that... I got to spend about 40 minutes watching the crew break down. That's not something that you get every day. You know, like, let me tell you, they thank the crew at this show. And by watching them and seeing how fast they break down and seeing that, you know, it was nothing to, to fold up all the speakers and, and just drop all the speakers into crates. And it felt like they finished that place up in like 15 minutes. I know it was longer, but to watch them work was amazing. And you get it now. Of course, they're good. They're with Pearl Jam. And of course, they know what they're doing. They're professionals. But to see it actually happen, and especially to me, I've been part of those crews before in spots. And usually we're just like, eh, like, keep going. And yeah, we're just hanging out and having fun. And wasn't really a big deal. And these guys were just like, get on trucks, get out of here. We got to get to Oklahoma City. And just watching that was just, it was eye-opening. It was fantastic. But it's a professional operation. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. And, you know, no, we didn't get to go backstage, but I wouldn't trade that moment for anything of just being able to get that far and being considered for that. And I think what we got to learn a little bit later is that I guess they only stick around backstage for, I guess, for special events and things like that. And they definitely weren't doing that a lot at these shows this year because of COVID and because of that stuff like that. And I think that Richie and Dermot, who got backstage and got to see them at Camden, said that like right after the show, like two, three minutes out of the show, they were out of the building completely. And then they were driven off to the hotel. So. Nothing would happen. Maybe I would have gotten to drink their Gatorade or something like that. But you know what? We'll never know. We'll never know. All right. Let's get into ranking the songs here and, and picking out our moments. I believe I'm supposed to go first this week, so I will. I've been thinking about this for a while because a lot of these songs resonate and will still resonate 
to this day and I can go personal and I am going to go personal with a lot of it. And I could go like the chaser route and go of the girl or glorified G, but thinking about it more, I think my number three is going to be black just because it felt like that moment that you should have at a Pearl Jam show. And even throughout the five that were so fantastic, I still felt like I was missing that big black moment. Still felt like I was missing that. Number two is going to be retrograde. It speaks for itself. The performance was outstanding. And then number one, yeah, I am going to go with a Chaser song, but it is one of the best performances of the night, too. Has the best story going into it, and thankfully we've, we were just able to tell it. And Sad is my number one. It's you know very, very close to the top of some of my all-time favorite song lists and all that. So, yeah, just the happiness that I had. Not just seeing Sad, but all the songs. Just was fantastic so what's your three uh yeah this was as difficult as i can remember this being because so many choices you could go of the girl footsteps life wasted dissident i thought were incredible corduroy even flow sad go even moment after moment this was really amazing and i was glad i was i got to be there in the building for it my number three is going to be sad my number two is Breath, and my number one is Retrograde. Awesome. All right, so this is the last show that we get to, to rate this year, and I kind of want to try something different here, because we were both there, because we had a lot of the same experiences. I feel like we kind of have to come up with a joint conclusion as to what this ranking is. The only question I have is, what weighs heavily more? A lot of it can weigh heavily on the personal side, but also you have to look at a little bit of the historic side. Like, is this a defining show for 2022? Is this a defining show for their history? On and on and on. So let's talk this out a little bit. What are you thinking about this? Oh, yeah, I've thought about this a little bit throughout the week and like asking myself, you know, especially going back in and listening to it a couple of months after does this really kind of live up to those songs that are in the upper echelon? And I think it does. I'm leaning towards a 10 on this one. I mean, everyone we talked to was like, man, they were impressed by the energy in that building. They were impressed by the energy of the band on stage. Everyone talked about that was the one. I, I think even if I hadn't been in the building, I would be really, really high on this one. So I'm, I'm, I got to go 10. Yeah, I, I personally, it's it's easy, easy, easy ten personally, and I think I'm sold. And the only thing that is interesting about this is that this is kind of a rookie show, and it would be going into the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, a very, very high distinction that we'd be given this. But of, of however, all the ones I've listened to, that this is the best show I've listened to all year. I, I this, agree. I think this is the highlight of the year. I, I think I agree. I really liked Camden too, but I think I agree on that. There was some good stuff in Europe, but not anywhere close to this. Yeah, it's a 10 for me. It is. Personal is always going to weigh heavily, but the whole entire show is just front to back fantastic. And you guys picked it for a reason. You, know, you didn't pick 
MSG, which I thought you would. You didn't pick, I don't know, Oklahoma City, which was a good show in its own right, or Nashville. You picked this one. And you did a good job. You made a good pick because I don't know when the next time we're ever going to talk about those other shows is. But thankfully, we got to talk about this one. It was a really, really good way to end the year. And it's also going into our Hall of Fame, which is happening next week. <laughs> it, it literally is the rookie of all this. Like, you know, you can look back. Yeah. It's, it's going in with stuff like MTV Unplugged and Den Hog and those kind of shows. And, you know, you might say on paper, like, okay, one of these doesn't really belong, but we just kind of proved the fact that it does. And while we're all done with covering shows, last year we did a Hall of Fame episode where we kind of inducted all the shows that had been rated 10s, uh, you know, a perfect 10 from both of us over the years. And what it ends up being is, is really kind of a recap of all the great stuff that we got to talk about this year. So I think that there's about 11 shows that are going into the hall of fame. And, you know, we wanted to put together something on our website for a long time. And I think that we'll try to get it going. And at some point, but yeah, if you're just interested in kind of listening to something a little different then next week, as it is for the end of December from here point forward, it's going to be the hall of fame episode. Only thing I got to say is right now, just thank you for a good year. And I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year to everybody. And we'll see you next week, but we'll also, in the new year, we'll we'll be ready to rock again. So, yeah, can't thank you guys anymore. It was wonderful getting to, getting to know you guys and getting to experience stuff with you guys. So, yeah, just thank you for all that. Seconded, yeah, from the, from the bottom of our hearts. Like, the support this year has been really, really amazing. And thanks to each and every one of you. Well, I guess there's only one thing to do before saying goodbye. And that is, this is the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. St. Louis can be argued as the best show of 2022. We made a great argument for it here. We'll talk about it again next week. Is it thunder or a crowd?
across the blues in St. Louis. Gracias, Nick.